Hello, I'm Victoria. And I'm Johnny. Welcome to Tasty Pages. A podcast for people who love cookbooks, food, and cooking. Each week, we'll discuss a featured cookbook from our popular Cooking the Books Instagram page. We'll also discuss the dishes that we made and rank the book in a variety of categories. Including food photography and styling, degree of difficulty, and of course, taste. The conversation is always unscripted, unedited, and uncensored. Spoiler alert, Victoria likes to swear. (laughs) All of this takes place in our living room in the heart of Minneapolis. Oh yeah, we also have a featured show topic with contributions from our listeners, and we end each episode with a lame food-related joke. Usually very lame. Hey now. (laughs) Join Join us for for Tasty Tasty Pages. This episode is sponsored by Silver Spring Foods. We've partnered with Silver Spring Foods to create the 50 States of Zing this summer and have a twist on an iconic Midwestern comfort food dish, Tater Tot Hot Dish. Our version features their first ever non-GMO prepared horseradish, along with their classic sassy sauce. This combination ensures that you'll receive some zing in every bite. Silver Spring is the largest grower and processor of horseradish, and they offer a variety of horseradish products, sauces, and specialty mustards. For a limited time, you can use the promo code WeCookBooks20 for 20% off your next purchase at SilverSpringFoods.com. And if you'd like the recipe for our version of a tater tot hot dish, check out our website at WeCookBooks.com blog. This week's featured cookbook is... A Year at Cat Bird Cottage by Melina Hammer. Hi, Johnny. Victoria, (laughs) you know what they do not tell you in school? What? That red onions are actually purple and that they stain your hands. Look at that. Oh, your hands are stained? Yeah, just from handling red onions. We got got some red onion relish situation going on the stovetop right now. And as I was preparing it, it looks like I bruised my hand. It's crazy. Well, I mean, I think they did use that. I think native people use like red onion skins as a dye. Yeah. Oh, see, they don't tell now you that you know. in school either. I know. They don't tell you much about indigenous people. They don't tell you anything people. about indigenous people at they all, do not. ever. Uh, welcome to Tasty Pages, <laughs> episode 81, a podcast from Cooking the Books. What were you doing in 1981? I was in first grade. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. at? Where were you living? I was living in the house that we grew that, uh, wait, no, no. I think I was in Mounds View. Yeah, good old Mounds View. When did I go to Columbia Heights? I feel like I went there second grade. I made a move in second grade too. I'm not sure where I was first grade. I remember my kindergarten teacher, her name was Mrs. Mack. I wonder what she's up to. She's probably dead. Um, was she old back then? <sighs> Define when you're a little kid, anyone <laughs> over 20 looks old. That's true. And then I want to say my first grade teacher was Miss Karen. My second grade teacher was Miss Re- Mrs. Regala. Are you going to name all your teachers? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that wasn't really the question I asked you. <laughs> I was in first grade. I was probably like doing, doing cartwheels in front of the... Um, in front of the TV while my sister was trying to watch it. Just oh, yeah. being a general nuisance. Yeah. I yeah. was riding my Schwinn Typhoon around the mean streets of Blaine, mm-hmm. Minnesota. Yeah. Was this before or after you broke a bone? <laughs> oh, no. I, that was like, I, I broke my uh, my arm 
long before that, that was in Oklahoma during my brief period of time living okay. in Oklahoma. Ooh, you were going to try and be cowboy. Yep. All right. Uh, I think I was pretending that I was swimming and I dove oh, off you the dove. sidewalk right into the, so right into the lawn and so, broke my you arm. You know what? Like cartoons taught us the worst things. They did. I, I, you know, didn't know that if you threw an anvil on someone's head that it would cause serious damage. <laughs> yeah, because you could lift an anvil. <laughs> or a large uh, safe. Actually, though, when I was a kid, I tried jumping off our garage roof with an umbrella. I remember you telling me that story. Because Droopy you're, Dog you're lucky did it. to be here. I know. Although I was a pretty, I was a really <laughs> fucking sturdy kid. So, you know, a jump off a garage roof wasn't really going to do me in. And then I think I was either mooning cars or throwing crab apples at passing cars. Or eggs. And no, we didn't do eggs. That, that was a little, you know, not that no, the crab you apple. Stri- no, you <laughs> strike me as a little asshole. I did like not throw eggs. eggs. I think I did that once in junior high and we got caught. And that okay. was like my first and only time. All right. But uh, not that like a hard crab apple thrown at someone's car is any better. <laughs> <laughs> we probably dented up many a car back in the day. Sorry, people. So rude. I know. And I think we were probably stealing rhubarb from Mrs. Heyman's garden and she would emerge with a moo moo on. But why? Chasing us. Did you actually want well, to I eat? I think we were probably daring each other to eat it because it was so tart and we thought it was funny to like try and eat it or something. Fuck that's you. The only, that's the only thing that I can uh, make out because like, yeah, what would we have done with it? Fuck you for abusing a delicious I know. ingredient. We weren't making pies, that's Fuck for sure. Fuck you. <laughs> you as a little kid were an asshole. Yeah, it, <laughs> you will get no I mean, argument we, from me. <laughs> weren't we all? Wait, that was quite the tangent. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, welcome to Tasty Pages, episode 81. I'll get a few housekeeping things out of the way. Uh, If you go to our website, wecookbooks.com, click on the store tab. That will direct you to our Amazon.com affiliate page. I'll get that updated before this goes live because uh, we've got some lists there, kitchen essentials for home cooks, cookbooks, a few other things. You can make a purchase from any of those lists and it won't cost you anything more, but we'll get a little something in return. It's a great way to support what we're doing here. Oh, happy anniversary. Tasty Pages is two years old. Oh, right. By the time this, yeah, by the time this publishes, yep. You know what we're gonna do? What we are going to throw uh, a star-studded, exclusive black tie gala, gala or gala? It depends on where you're from. Pay-per-view, the whole, the whole shebang. No, I'm kidding. We're just kidding. Oh, <laughs> We're gonna drink boxed wine in our underwear. <laughs> no, That's we do not. We do not drink box. Well, I mean, not that there's anything. I have enjoyed many boxes yep. of no wine. No judgment. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, what are we drinking? Oh, we're, we're revisiting just, a classic. And we're just back on the good old spicy mango margarita. Yeah, we're breaking our own rules. It's Monday. It is. We we were kind of busy yesterday with some dinner stuff. We made pasta from scratch. Gluten-free pasta. Yes. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, time got away from us. So we had the show prep done. We just didn't get around to recording it. So we're, we're doing it this evening while our uh, relish, red onion relish simmers on the we, stove. We picked yet another like kind of time... Yeah, this one's got a lot of time-consuming thing. I mean, it's a good. Well, I mean, we didn't do anything for it while we were working. Yeah, because I was gonna be like, it's a good thing we work from home, but no, we didn't do anything till after we 
left the shop. One thing I wanted to just mention in, in food news, General Mills is bringing back four favorite cereals that have been unavailable for the past decade. Unless it was like an exclusive kind of, you know, once a year Halloween kind of thing. But uh, they're bringing back Fruit Brute, which I do not remember. I don't remember Fruit Brute at uh, all. Frankenberry, Count Chocula, and Booberry. See, I feel like over the full past year, I've been able to see those. Maybe they're just old boxes that hadn't sold from last Halloween. Because my understanding was like maybe around Halloween, they would like do these. And I think they did a special like package together Mm -hmm. called it like the Monster Mash or something. Mm -hmm. But uh, these will be available. My understanding was like year round now. They're kind of like re you know relaunching them so i used to love i used to love those what was like, your favorite um i think i think booberry was my favorite okay um i was probably more of a count chocula kind of dude well here's the thing it, it, like growing up we didn't really have sugar cereals because my stepdad was a diabetic so like we had cheerios and that yeah but I would go to my best friend Jen's house down the street. Did she have all the cereals? Oh, <laughs> Take like, your pick. Oh, my God. I would just sit there and like two bowls of sugar cereal. Nice. Usually Fruity Pebbles. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Also, what is your favorite sugar cereal ever? I think we asked this as a podcast question. Did we? I think so. No, we did I not. believe we did. And okay. I don't, and I know we had a conversation about cereals. I think, yeah, I think we did say like, what is your favorite cereal? I can tell you what my least favorite is. Grape nuts. That's like the fucking Triscuits of cereal. It's chewing gravel. Unless you want to like rip up the roof of your mouth. I mean, if, if you. If that's the goal, then grape nuts away. And the noise that comes. <laughs> like I hate. It's kind of a loud cereal. I I get really annoyed by eating noises and sometimes he'll be eating next to me and I'm not eating and I'll just be like and I have to like <laughs> move. I'm not trying to be snotty. It's, just eating it, grape nuts. It just drives me insane. Crack a tooth eating that stuff. What um favorite cereal growing up, but we ate a lot of cinnamon toast crunch. No, it doesn't even have to be like growing up. Well, like, like I, don't, all it, time. I don't have a favorite because I don't eat sugar cereal now. I, I rarely eat cereal. And when we do, we eat the very adult, uh, responsible rice checks. Corn checks. Corn checks. That's where it's at. Yeah. I could eat a whole family size. Box I, I, I enjoyed a bowl of cereal from time to time for, for breakfast. Corn checks with a little banana or strawberry in there. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That's that's okay. what I grew up Cinnamon on. To- My favorite would be Cookie Crisp. Ooh, yeah. I remember that. Mm-hmm. How can you not like that? Eating a bowl of cookies and for, I, for uh, breakfast. And it wasn't really like a kid cereal, but I love tricks. Not tricks. Um, I mean, tricks are for kids. No, no, no. It wasn't tricks. It was kicks. Kicks are not for kids. No, they're kind of boring, but like yeah. I would spend summers at my grandma's and she was diabetic. And so what about she Quisp? Would... Did you ever eat Quisp? I'm sure I did and I probably fucking loved it. Yeah. Oh my God, we're getting so derailed. That's oh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's that's why people continue to tune in. See, I need to have my energy ramped up because when we started this, I was like, Ugh. We did a fun thing this weekend. Open Streets, Minneapolis, closed off East Lake Street in front of our building. 
for several blocks. You sound like a newscaster. <laughs> and in addition to vendors selling various like jewelry and wares, they had uh, different neighborhood community organizations. Mm-hmm. There was a guy playing a tuba. There was <laughs> dancers putting on performances, all kinds of stuff. Yep, food, food vendors. Grabbed our bikes and went up and on the whole way. It was kind of fun to ride your bike down what would normally be a, a, a heavily trafficked street with yes. cars. And it was just pedestrians and dummies not looking where they were going on those electric scooter things, those motorized scooters. And lots of dogs. So I had to avoid them yeah. as they were staring at their cell phone, taking mm. selfies on the scooter, whizzing by me as they just about ran into me on my bike. But lots of dogs. Mm-hmm. And the dogs were, were great. I don't mind looking out for them. I suppose we should talk about what we are currently finishing up. We actually finished it up last night. We did. It's a Canal at Vanille. I believe it's Aaron Goyoga. And uh, we made that was where the gluten free pasta came in. And that is actually, uh, I believe we hinted at this um, earlier, but I guess it's official now. We are going to be teaching cooking classes at Cooks of Crocus Hill here in St. Paul, Minnesota. So if you guys are in the Minneapolis area and and want, you, you can't get enough of Victoria and Johnny, this podcast leaves you wanting more. You can sign up for. This class where we are going to walk you through the process of making this uh, wonderful gluten-free pasta. Mm-hmm. And shout out to listener Kim Howard because she was yes. the one that recommended this book in the first place. And it's kind of a game changer for us mm-hmm. because one of the things that we've really been missing with this new gluten-free lifestyle that we've adapted is the... Uh, you know, breads and carbs and stuff. And, and this this book has got like a flatbread recipe. Um, it's got, uh, there's another like yeasted loaf bread mm-hmm. thing that I'm going to try, I think, sometime this week. And everything's been successful, including that pasta, and really tasty. So, I'm, w- I'm, well-researched book. I'm very proud. Oh, and we ended up serving the pasta with a beef ragu that was also from that book. Yes. But we are planning on doing something quite different for our class speaking of which what's for dinner tonight why don't you <laughs> you don't want to say don't, it <laughs> no like it gives me like all right so we're starting this new book from harriet burrell the first dish that we are making which is that uh companion relish that's simmering on the stove is uh mushy burger <laughs> mushy burgers with the lot but i don't know okay the bun is like portobello caps so is it like saying mushy, mushy burgers mushy burgers like the, oh, your mushrooms I get it. no i get it yeah. or are we talking about the actual texture no, of I think the patty that, now it's making sense to me i'm a little slow see that's what i was burgers. thinking that like that's what i was thinking not mushy but i still mushy. but i still feel like gotta work on that name it's not very appealing it is not an appealing name um should we talk about our show question Sure. Okay. We put this out to the listeners. And here in Minnesota, we've got the uh, Minnesota State Fair coming up in a few weeks. We plan on attending. I'm so excited. That got us to thinking, what is your favorite state or county fair food? Because every region has, you know, foods that they're kind of known for or 
the fair is, you know, has something that they're kind of famous for. Mm-hmm. We got some good submissions. So uh, why don't you start us off? Jack Daw said, easy. Corn dogs, wait, or is it pronto pups? Here's my thing. I think you need to go to the stands that say pronto pups. And that's where you're going to get the Those better are gonna product. Be that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I usually call it a corn dog by default, but... But, you know, I know what a pronto pup is if someone used it in conversation. I think the pronto pups are like the supreme. Charlene J said funnel cakes. And, and that's not going to be the first or last time that we hear funnel cakes. Oh, I haven't had a funnel cake since uh, since I was a teenager going to the Heights Jamboree. It's the food of my people. Oh, my God. German origin brought over by the Pennsylvania Dutch. Well, look at you, Mr. Smarty yep. Pants. Mm. I can drop some some funnel cake knowledge on you. Well, Yum. it's it's basically a, a fried batter. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, it's like a churro or a donut. Like, I mean. Every cuisine seems to have a version the, of it. Everyone loves their fried batter. Uh, and a a six-inch you- cake, which is probably small in size compared to, you know, the gargantuan one that they feed you at the fair. Oh, my God. The ones at the fair are like yeah. as big as your head. Well, for a six-inch one, it contains 276 calories and 14 grams of fat. Woo. So you can just multiply that by, you know, 10, 10. to get yep. what you get at the fair. Right. So that's like probably a 3,000-calorie mm. uh, snack. Mm-hmm. Snack. Ugh, snack. What else you got? Uh, Christy H. said fried green tomatoes. Do they serve those at the fair here? They probably do. Yeah, there's probably some just, place yeah. that like specializes in mm-hmm. them. Uh, Nancy M. said deep fried cheese curds. Now you're talking. 100%. Veronica P. Pronto pups. Yep. 100%. And our friend Victor K. said cheese curds, hands down. Food of the gods. <laughs> Aunt Barb said, yep, cheese curds. Oh, nice. oh my God. We are so one track minded here. Yep. And then lastly, my loving spoonful said funnel cake only because of good memories. I don't actually want to eat one now. I, I kind of feel the same way about that. Like we're, we're planning our trip and I, I don't think I'm going to be going for the funnel cake. Right. There. Before we get to our picks, I'm, I'm curious to hear yours. Um, I did look on the official Minnesota State Fair website and every year there's always new vendors and new foods and it's kind of a people are always excitedly waiting for the list of vendors and foods to come out to see what's new for the year and for 2022 they had their list published you can find it on their website and I pulled out some of the some of the gems that I wanted to share with you so the first one I know you sent me this list but I won't be I won't be participating in the. Well, you, you can comment up. on it because I want to hear your thoughts. Okay. Coconuts hummus from uh, Baba's. That's the name of the, the vendor. Wait, you uh, called it coconuts? Coconuts. 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 No, it's not coconuts like a, with the you know, shell that you crack open. It's coconuts oh. because it's hazelnut, chocolate hummus, chocolate chips, hazelnuts, shredded coconut. I lied. There is coconut in there. <laughs> Bananas, but then it's served with powdered sugar pita puffs. And apparently it's vegan, and it can also be gluten-free without the pita puffs. So it's like a hummus, like a chocolate hummus with hazelnuts in it. The idea of chocolate hummus disgusts me. Yeah. I'm I not don't like that, that at all. Uh, how about a birthday cake Polita or paleta from the Hamlin Church Dining Hall? It's a Mexican frozen dessert Payet- on a stick. Is it paleta? Might be. Uh, chunks of birthday cake, 
sprinkles and vanilla extract base so it's like a frozen pop that sounds delicious if if like if i could actually eat it i would fully eat it. i don't think you could but it's uh, i would like 100 say yes to it here's one right up your alley cotton candy float from the german root beer popcorn stand shut that shit down right now we're not speaking of it nope poured over vanilla ice cream and topped with actual cotton no 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 i just feel my teeth rotting uh, oh, here's one. Pickle Pizza from Rick's Pizza. You know, Pickle Pizza is having a moment on the social media. I love pickles. I love pizza. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you would like this because it's got a dill ranch sauce. Gross. With mozzarella, dill pickles, and then some dill weed seasoning. Why does everything have to be ruined with fucking ranch? I, it's the, it's, it's the, a ruiner. It's a ruiner. It's a ruiner. Recipe ruiner, ranch. Blech. Ranch ruining recipes since 19. When was it launched? 1956 or something. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, oh, and then lastly, Gray Duck Sunday from Bridgman's Ice Cream. And this is black licorice ice cream, marshmallow cream, crunchy mini marshmallows, whipped cream, and a cherry. You, some of it, your favorites. Everything but the cherry was like. 10,000% no. Cringeworthy. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> What'd you have for your picks? Um, okay. Mine was pork chop on a stick. Mm-hmm. And you guys, this is not like a regular pork chop. This is like a delicious, big, fat, cut. juicy pork chop that has been smoked. And it is so juicy and tasty and is Perfectly. And it's on a stick, which is actually practical because then you can just walk around while and you're not on this pork yes. truck. Yes, it is amazing. You're looking forward to that, I know. I'm I'm so looking forward to I it. I mean, you might as well just get a couple. And you I can might just, as like, well because that's probably, that's probably like, what I can eat there. Can't have them anymore, but like there is nothing more perfect than state fair cheese curds. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. Especially when they're just like piping hot. Oh the, my God. There's that fine line between like molten lava where they're going to like, you know, completely destroy the roof of your mouth and then being too cold when they're not really enjoyable. Oh, see, you know, I'm so always going to, you know, I'm always going to pop them into my mouth. Well, when of course. Like fucking molten lava. You and everyone else. Mm-hmm. That hot grease. I would have to say mini donuts go along with that sure. too. That's a classic. Oh. It's bad. I can't even tell you the last time I've had a state fair mini donut. You probably can't have those, huh? No, I cannot. Mm. Um, and also, one of my big favorite things was trying the new beer flavors. Yes, like there'd be like a chocolate chip cookie dough beer. Yep, and there's a chai a, beer. And there are some of those uh, this year. Although seltzers are the, like the big thing right now so uh i think we will have plenty of interesting seltzer flavors and cider flavors to pick from at, okay. at the fair anything else that is it give me yours i had smoked pork chop on a stick as well mm-hmm. and then a new entry do you remember that swedish fish in the like nordic waffle cone thing that was entirely i think it was a japanese thing okay but it was like it was like that it, it, they it, have those Nordic waffles that are in those like really kind of intricate designs. It's a, it's and a stuff. fish say, shaped waffle with right. two different kinds of ice cream. Right. It wasn't Nordic at all. 
Okay, but it, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember who the vendor was or where it came from. Well, but, it was only there for like three days and right. we happened to like... We happened to be happen. there. It was very it was, limited. It was several years ago, too. Yeah, it's, I still remember it. I know. I, I still I still have dreams about it. All right, should we talk about this book? Go ahead. Let's do it. Uh, so for us, this book was inspirational as well as aspirational. It's full of seasonal, nutritious recipes influenced by the bed and breakfast that Melina and her husband operate in New York's Hudson Valley. There's chapters categorized by season, as well as subdivided by basically breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert. There's a healthy amount of pages devoted to foraging, which is kind of one of the cornerstones of the book, and it discusses, you know using what is locally available near this area where the bed and breakfast is located. And um, there's also some indexes in the back that are thoughtfully divided by dietary lifestyle. So if you're vegan, vegetarian, or gluten-free, you can reference these to know what recipes you can make in the book. And if you're planning a special meal, there's also a handy list suggesting what to make for important occasions like Mother's Day, Easter, vegetarian date night. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Um, afternoon picnic, etc. Additionally, the gorgeous food photography will have your mouth watering with the turn of every page. It was uh, taken by the author herself. All right, you want to talk about the dishes we made and then we'll dive a little deeper into them? We did the deli sandwich Dutch baby, seared scallops and veggie gravel. Ichi Garden, uh, maple gochujang ribs. You said it. I did. Pickle platter and cornbread. Finally, roasted salmon and a spicy cucumber orange salsa. All right. That sounds like a delicious menu. Indeed. Deli sandwich Dutch baby. Well, I love a good Dutch baby. Um, We should send out invitations for a baby shower. We're having a baby. Dutch baby. Right? (laughs) Our friends would love that. Uh Uh-huh. Comedy. This is super duper easy. You whip up a bunch of eggs. We made it gluten-free. We did. Stream in the milk to that, add in some flour. You transfer it into a hot pan that has melted butter. And then once you get the batter in there and it's in the oven, do not open the that oven. That is the most difficult part of this recipe. It's <laughs> not taking a little peek in the oven door. Keep your dirty paws off the oven. You cannot do that. What would happen? It would just be like, be a, like a deflated yep. balloon. Yeah, it would dish. be like, I'm trying to make that like a deflating sound. Yeah, we don't have the budget for <laughs> professional sound, sound effects, effects, so you're on your own. <laughs> um, and what makes this a deli sandwich, Dutch baby, is that it gets some... Well, it calls for blue cheese. We used gorgonzola since we had some. Nice, funky gorgonzola. Mm-hmm. And then there were some cornichons, some prosciutto, pickled red onions, some microgreens. I, th- I thought it was a really nice way to dress a Dutch baby. And I love a savory Dutch baby, too. Yeah. This was probably one of my favorite dishes mm. from the from the book. Agreed. Really enjoyed this. And it was successful. So. Mm-hmm. And then let's talk about the seared scallops and veggie gravel. This is kind of like the other end of the pendulum. Especially you, you had very strong feelings especially about Especially for me. Well, it's... Yeah. The salmon is served with this called gravel, and it's finely diced celery, radish, cucumber, olives, lemon, and mint. If I can toot my own horn for a second... He did. I, I made all. some uh, kick-ass gravel. He did all the knife work, and I was very impressed. I was like, 
was like, I, I was the Dyson King. Yeah, his. I, you know, I think Johnny's knife skills at this point are better than mine. Oh, stop! Seriously, stop! <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> First of all, this gravel needed acid. That is true. I remember that. Even though there was like lemon, like lemon in it, it wasn't enough. No. So we added champagne vinegar. Yes. For some acid. I just felt that it didn't. It, scallops are like so nice and soft and velvety and so i thought that it was just it did the veggie gravel did not go well with the scallops and i i feel like with an ingredient like that if you get good quality it doesn't need a lot of pizzazz and jazzing up like you should just keep it simple simply prepared throw a little citrus and some fresh herbs on it or you know This, this whole recipe to me felt like kind of a first draft and it, it definitely needed some tweaking in order for it to even have a chance at being successful. Yeah. Um, I was kind of indifferent about it, but I know you you really hated it, especially mm-hmm. that gravel. Yes. Well, and also you were supposed to be able to make a pan sauce from searing the um, scallops. And you're supposed to deglaze the... With the white wine. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's right. But it the resulting liquid was not very much. Because no. I know you were supposed to deglaze... Throw some scallions in there and then pour that over the scallops. Yeah. And there just wasn't there even was, enough liquid mm-mm. to, you know, it was more just like a few tablespoons of, you know, what would be considered like a pan sauce or something. Yeah. So I, the, uh, to be honest, like it kind of bummed me out because scallops are expensive. Well, and so I just pretty much didn't eat any of the gravel. Which bums, which also is a bummer because you spent all this time. There was time. a lot of work that went into, you know, because it was it was dicing various vegetables. But but I, I get your point. Like it just it just wasn't everything was not harmonious. Like all those veggies along with the other ingredients, it just it didn't come together. All hat, no cattle. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> all bark, no bite. All right. What about each garden? Zucchini noodles or... Zoodles. Yeah. <laughs> so now you can buy prepared zucchini noodles in the store if you enjoy draining your wallet. Yeah. Well, I mean, usually most um, most grocery stores will have like a little display of like to-go sandwiches or like pre-cut, um, pre-cut veggies and stuff. So a lot of like I know... Our horribly expensive grocery store has them, and yeah, they're like eight dollars a container. Yeah, don't be lazy; just make your own zoodles. Yeah, and you don't need a spiralizer either. Oh, that you, was see, that was what I was gonna say. Yeah, like, you know, you, you can do it by hand. My mom probably has like six of those in her, <laughs> in her house. I think she did because I saw it and I was like, ooh, but we wouldn't use it. No, enough to. We we we're not. Uh, we're not mad for the zoodles. No. <laughs> yeah, this one, this was super. This one was super simple. Uh, it got set on like a scoop of yogurt. We enhanced our yogurt a little bit because it was just supposed to be plain yogurt. Mm-hmm. We added a little bit of uh, lemon juice and salt and pepper. Um, well, in the recipe, it calls for a, a Japanese sesame salt spice blend called, uh, I think it's gomasio. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, we could not find that anywhere around our neighborhood. Right. And so uh, we had some everything but the bagel seasoning from Trader Joe's, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that worked out wonderfully. Yes. Also, besides the zoodles, there were some green beans, some sugar snap peas, Hungarian peppers, a little bit of jalapeno, 
some soft boiled eggs, and then it was garnished with some fried shallots. I got to flex my and, jammy egg and fried shallot mm-hmm, skills. And said uh, everything but the bagel well, seasoning. This, this was a timely recipe because we were the benefactors of some... Uh, generous neighbors giving us uh, some items from their CSA box and then we had like our garden going and stuff so I know we used like some zucchini there were like four zucchini in that particular yeah. CSA box yeah we used them all so. yeah so this was great this was a this was a great way to kind of clean out our fridge and and um, yeah I didn't mind it mm-hmm. how about these maple gochujang ribs with a pickle platter <laughs> And cornbread. I have to say I've never had pickled blueberries. And it was this, the rind, I should say. Yes. Pickled watermelon rind. Yeah. So if you're going to do this whole um, situation, you need to start on your pickles like three days ahead of time. Yeah. You're not just going to wake up in the morning and be like, I'm going to make this dish. Yeah. It's not. It's there's no quick pickle situation. Nope. So I pickled those. And then the ribs end up getting a dry spice rub. And that was just like a little brown sugar, some cumin, coriander, paprika. And we did that the day before too, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because we were... I made a little bit for something else. This was too. kind of a multi-day project. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I, I think just as a personal preference... I prefer ribs that are smoked rather than like slow cooked. Yeah, I think we got spoiled from all those years of being able to smoke our own Mm -hmm. meats. And that is definitely my preferred method and, and, you know, the final product. Um, These get slow cooked for eight hours. And then I think we finished them under the broiler. But they just, they don't have the same texture that ribs do when you smoke them. Right. Low and slow for many hours. The glaze that gets brushed over it is made of tomatoes, garlic, anchovies. And I don't know. We just use the anchovy paste, yes? Correct. Okay. Uh, Anchovies, uh, maple syrup, soy sauce, gochujang, molasses, fish sauce, and smoked paprika. Yeah, so final result, it was okay. It was a lot of work for something that I thought was just meh. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I know it had this companion cornbread, which we made gluten-free. And I know you're not like a huge cornbread fan, so. But it was good. Yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of particular about how the cornbread is. Well, and the bottom line, too, is like it did not photograph well. It's brown no, it food. Didn't. How do you How do you jazz up brown food to make it look appealing when we share this on social media? It's It's a challenge. Well, I think I could have done the photo better, but yeah, I don't know. This is brown brown ribs. Me. So, and then lastly, we did a roasted salmon with spicy cucumber and orange salsa. So I have to say, like, I was I was intrigued just by the the title of the recipe because mm-hmm. those flavor combinations sound delicious. And I think this was uh, another one of my favorites from the book. Mm. Yeah, I liked it too. And I like that it. it it was a very easy dish to make, probably one of the easier ones that we did, but it, it had this nice flavor to it as if it was something that took you a long time to to compose. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this would be something that if you wanted to impress dinner guests, heads of state, bosses. Okay. <laughs> you, could, you could throw this together and... Uh, and wow them. So the salmon, I tend to favor searing salmon, but I feel like a lot of the recipes we've been 
working with lately calls for it to be roasted in the oven. You know what I don't like about that method is you can't constantly babysit it. And I get anxiety thinking it's going to overcook because you got to be constantly checking on it. Otherwise, like, you know, it could go from not cooked to overcooked in the blink of an eye. That's a YP, not a <laughs> I don't have that problem. I just, that's a lot of trust to have in the recipe, eh. you know, and it's also going to depend on the thickness of the fish that you're cooking. Yes. Uh, also, this dish was served with a little salad of cucumber, dill, garlic, scapes, olive oil, vinegar, and orange zest. Yeah. It was a perf. It was a really great summer dish. It, yes. It, nice bright flavors. It clean felt flavors. like you should have been sitting like outside or, or on a, on a, drinking on a, some rosé at rooftop, our coffee table. On a rooftop deck. All right. Before we discuss our rankings, I found one critical Amazon review. Do you want to read it? You go right ahead. Okay. This is from Annabelle. She gives it three out of five stars. She says, uh, for upstate in quotation mark foragers i was hoping for a collection of elevated but homey recipes suitable for having friends over this book is lovely but assumes that you're of the same sensibility as the author which means a former city dweller in this case brooklyn who forages for ingredients ferments ramps and pickles sun chokes sorry returning this one huh yeah i mean (laughs) valid criticism we'll get to that in a second okay (laughs) Let's uh, start with the first category, food photography and styling. What'd you have, Victoria? I gave it a five. It start, The book actually just starts out with some cottage photos. And then there are also really beautiful photos of forage finds and garden grows. These were all photographed and styled by the author herself, we should mention. Yes. Oh, okay. So one thing that I noticed... In dishes where you would imagine that they are not going to be that great looking mm-hmm. or, you know, kind of hard to plate attractively. Like brown ribs. <laughs> yeah. They like, in a lot of those photos, rather rather than have like a kind of mediocre looking photo, mm-hmm. they would just use the raw ingredients. Yes. So not every photograph is of the completed dish. No. And also the way that they photograph some of that, like there's a recipe for a pistachio duca, and rather than just show a container of it all mixed together, mm-hmm. it was laid down in like really nice layers, mm-hmm. one on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. A lot of the photos felt really dark and cozy. Mm-hmm. But then again, there were also a lot that were with natural light. Yes. Um, really great use of natural light. And I feel I feel like, especially for the first half of the book, uh, the dinnerware was either like dark and earthy, like ceramics, or the china, which was usually used in more of the natural light mm-hmm. photos. Mm-hmm. Good styling to fit the mood. Yes. There were a couple of photos that I really loved. There was one that actually, it looked like an oil painting. It was in the beginning of the fall title page. Okay. And it was quince, onion, preserved lemon, and sage. And the way that it was styled and lit, Uh it looked like an oil painting. Huh. I need to go back and check that out. Beautiful. Yeah. I loved the photography in this book. That one slipped by me. Uh, Anything else? Uh, no. What do you, what are your thoughts? I also gave it a five, uh, echoing a lot of what you said. Um, lots of great photos at the beginning related to foraging. Cause there's a decent amount of pages 
dedicated to foraging at the beginning of the book. So there's some outdoor shots, nature shots, also just photographs of the foraged ingredients as they would appear in nature. So you've got like mushrooms, like still, you know, attached Mm -hmm. to a tree or something. Each chapter has kind of a double page overlay with these introductory photos. So for spring, summer, fall, and winter, and it kind of sets the mood by creating this color palette of ingredients. So it's kind of like what you were saying is, uh, you know, each season has a different mood and color palette. Uh, Great use of light and shadows. I'm assuming it's natural light, um, but it's expertly done. All the photos have this kind of rustic, almost uh, like blog-like, quote-unquote, feel in appearance and styling. Great use of ceramics and fabrics and props in general. Mostly overhead shots. Everything's very natural looking. So it kind of fits the theme of the book with this like, you know, rural bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, five, I think this uh, this is the category this book really excels in. Agree. Uh, design and layout. What'd you give it? I gave it a three and a half. Okay. I have kind of mixed feelings about the design and layout. So there is a recipe index at a glance in the front of the book. I always appreciate those. So if you just want to kind of flip to the index and get a look at what recipes are contained within the book it's all right there there's an essential tools section which is mostly unnecessary Mm -hmm. i don't need to know what kind of tools to keep in my kitchen there's a good 20 plus pages devoted to foraging so that is definitely a cornerstone of this book it's got a primer to the most common native plants in this area not every recipe has a companion photo There's a staples chapter in addition to these seasonal chapters that mentions what to do with some of these things that you're creating, like where you can use them in the book. So it will say like, you know, make this sauce and then it's like this sauce is used in this recipe on page blah, 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 this recipe over here. this So it kind of gives you a heads up on like if you're going to make any of these items kind of pantry staples, this is where they can be used. The recipe methods, even when they contain just a few steps, are quite lengthy in their description. I think that could have been edited a bit. Mm -hmm. It makes the recipes appear more complicated than they might be. And this, combined with the absence of any estimated cooking times as guidance, may deter some people from attempting the recipes at all. Because if you just browse through the recipes, there's no cooking or prep times given And then even though the methods are relatively short as far as number of steps, the descriptions are pretty long. Can I horn in and say something about that? Please, yeah. Like I have very short reading comprehension. And so when you are, I mean, I get that you read a recipe before you actually do it. Right. But when you are actually cooking and you go to glance over at a recipe, Uh having to scan through all that text yes can be like really detrimental to what you're doing yeah i i felt like it it could have been edited i mean it's it's beautifully written and very descriptive but i feel like i said in the absence of any of those elapsed times like it it's a detriment to the book so each chapter has some sub chapters uh so You've got your spring, summer, fall, winter, but then they're divided into breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert categories. So for each season, you've got like the whole uh, array of meals that you would have throughout the day. And then 
the staples are divided into subcategories as well, such as like sauces and dressings, stocks, pickles, preserves. There's even a couple cocktails in the book. And then there's these bonus tracks kind of tacked on to the very end of the book that are supposed to be more simple, kind of humble dishes that don't require a lot of hands-on time. And they're making use of some of the leftover ingredients that you may have from some of these larger feasts that you prepared. And then in the back of the book, there is a recipe index for different dietary restrictions. So vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free. And then there's some uh, an index devoted to more like meal planning um, and for particular events. So if you were like planning a birthday party or maybe a Mother's Day or a picnic or a vegetarian date night or you wanted something to wow the in-laws, uh, they've got some suggested recipes in the back there. And then there is a resource list for different suppliers and foraging and gardening supplies and just if you want to do some additional reading. Each chapter at the beginning has these random diary entries. I think we talked about this, but I didn't find them to be necessary. They seemed a little random to me. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, she probably keeps a diary and writes about what's going on that particular time of year. So what's being harvested, what's in season, what they're working on around the property. But and then they just kind of picked like one or two of them randomly presumably to like feature at the beginning of you know the summer chapter the winter chapter the fall chapter i just i didn't see the point of them and they just added to like this text in the book to make it a little bit more dense than maybe it needed to be i get it yeah i mean but i do think it's also kind of like a mood setter too i and that's why personally i didn't like it but i understand like this is kind of a love letter to their business Mm -hmm. their bed and breakfast Mm -hmm. and unlike if this was like a a cookbook from say a celebrity cook or maybe focused on a particular ingredient or maybe a particular type of cuisine this is more to represent like this particular place and it's so it's in that regard it's not unlike if like a restaurant put out a cookbook or something it was just to showcase the stuff that they serve there so i get it but it didn't didn't wow me in any way. So what'd you have? I was kind of waffling between going between a four and a 3.5. And I'm going to go 3.5. I mean, you could always go 3.75. <laughs> I've done it before. I know you have. Um, <laughs> That's the gymnast in you. Right? It doing, is. Doing so you got to uh, take the tenths and hundredths yep. of a point off. 58 pages into the book until you hit the first recipe. Yep. I can appreciate all the foraging. That's what they do there. But I feel like the recipes didn't really include a lot of foraged ingredients. I will say the recipes we chose did not. And that might have been purposeful. Yeah, because we were going to be like, where are we going to find this? And, you know, we're not foragers. And uh, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 no. That was one of the critiques I had, too, was that. If you live in Arizona, the ingredients you have available for foraging are going to be like wildly different than what's available in upstate New York. So this is a very specific cookbook that you might find useful if you also live in that region. If not, that's a lot of pages that are useless to you. Yeah, agree. What else you got? Um, Gosh, you kind of covered everything. I hated that I didn't have cooking times. 
It's got a number of servings, which I appreciate. I don't think you mentioned that. Right. I like that uh, within the recipe, sometimes um, there will just be an entire list of ingredients, just Mm -hmm. a rundown of ingredients. But this one for each recipe, each component of the dish had its own Right, I know that's something that you appreciate, so. Yeah, because I hate when a recipe is like two cups sugar and then in the method it'll be like use one and a half cups sugar Mm -hmm. and then (laughs) down the line you're like here's another half cup sugar. No, it makes sense. Yeah, I think you kind of covered everything that I was going to say, so. It's because of all that uh, thorough research that I yes, that I do. Yes. Uh degree of difficulty. Uh I gave it a 3. Okay. Many of the recipes have several elements. Mm-hmm. And sometimes some of those are like a couple of her condiments which also have to be made ahead. And mm-hmm. I know that you mentioned that like it, when you make a condiment there are other suggestions in the book. Right. But, you know, that's extra time that you're going to have to do. So you have to plan ahead if yes. you're going, if you're going, I mean, it's fine. You can have 10, 10 components, but you know, plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, I was expecting way more, uh, forage ingredients of the recipes, mm-hmm. uh, or in the recipes, but obviously we chose ones that didn't have any. We, we foraged them at our local <laughs> farmer's market. Yes, we did. A lot of things just felt kind of fussy to me. Yeah. And not in like a product, like this is super worth it kind of way. Like that gravel, uh uh-uh. Yeah. You know, it wasn't worth it. Yeah. You're probably going to say it so much more eloquent than I am. (laughs) What'd you give it? I gave it a three and a half. Mm -hmm. This is definitely not a beginner cookbook. And I think some of the formatting issues that I discussed do it a disservice, making it appear more challenging than maybe it is. Um, however, if someone has an interest in a more holistic approach to the food that they eat, and by that I mean like kind of growing, foraging, pickling, fermenting, all this stuff, this is not a bad place to start. It's a, it's a useful book in that regard. Yeah, I'm the, sorry. I kind of focused on like the foraging aspect, but the author really does uh, talk about gardening too. So right. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt No, you. but I, I think just because of the reasons I discussed, like this is not something I would give to a beginner cook. Mm-mm. If someone lived in this area, like the upstate New York area or Northeast, it might be kind of a fun book for them to own and, and, and use. But I, I I just think it has a very specific appeal, Agreed. which is it's it's not bad. They're probably using this book to promote their absolutely, bed and which is great yeah. to, to have a companion cookbook that you can sell in the gift shop of your <laughs> bed and breakfast. Great, I mean it's beautiful. Yeah, so. it's a beautiful book. The list of gluten free recipes in the back was quite extensive, and mm-hmm. I think that's probably what drew us in uh, initially. Vegan and vegetarian options are quite plentiful but since most items are made from scratch it does add a level of difficulty to everything and because of like the pantry staples that we discussed so most of these dishes are not things that you're just going to whip up on a weeknight yeah unless get home you're, from work and be like Woo. unless you're dummies like us mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get all stressed like, Although oh, I, think we, I think we did pretty good about planning we knew that the ribs was going to be a multi-day affair yeah. like we we had the 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 good sense to to plan ahead but but yeah so three and a half 
uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, what did you give it for taste? I gave it a three. It was, again, kind of a mixed bag. The salmon and the Dutch baby dishes were quite good. The ribs were not the best that we've had. The scallops were kind of met with a collective shoulder shrug. Three. What'd you have? I was a little bit nicer. I gave it a 3.5. Okay. Yeah, basically the scallop gravel was huge misstep. The ribs were mediocre. Some of the recipes were lacking in acid. Mm-hmm. Not the good kind of acid, man. <laughs> like, I I don't know if if the author is, like, kind of pulls back from acid or... Yeah. But I agree. 3.5. Uh, 3.5. All right. Okay. Well, now we're at the gastro obscura portion of the show, exploring the weird and wonderful culinary traditions, experiences, and ingredients. And I love this because the last few times... You've not told me in advance what you're choosing I know. To, to showcase. Uh, I know. And so kind of like with my funny jokes at the end of the episodes. It's a nice it's, surprise It's, it's a little you. mystery. So, so what do you got for us today, Victoria? Okay. So we have dormant underground dairy, which oh. is bog butter in Ireland. Oh, good old bog butter. Mm-hmm. If you happen to be digging up a peat in Ireland, you might unearth a package that is wrapped in, say, an animal skin or a wooden container or an earthenware container. What's in there is probably butter that has been there for hundreds of years. Oh. <laughs> who, do, who planted them? Okay. Uh, we'll get to that. Okay. Okay. First of all, the butter is safe to eat, but is probably really funky. Mm. Um, recently, there was a 3,000-year-old bag of butter that was taste tested. Uh, it was fine, but they, <laughs> but the, t- the taster said it tasted moldy. It wasn't moldy. Hmm. They're but, not selling me on this. N- well, so here's the thing: bogs are low in oxygen. Oxygen. They're cool. They have a high acidity rate. So n- note to serial killers: don't dump bodies in bogs. Oh, noted. Because they will be very well preserved. See. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get the word out. Right. But um, they make a natural preserve. Yes. Preserve. Mm-hmm. Preservative. Pre- <laughs> <laughs> they make a natural preserve. That'd be the right word for food. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so most likely this butter was either found or forgotten or couldn't be located um, some other theories as to why this butter was buried is because uh, it was offerings to the gods or it was being hidden from thieves. So it's kind of a mystery like Stonehenge. Yes. Stonehenge. It's Stonehenge. <laughs> <laughs> um, now we're just mocking an entire uh, you know group of people and culture. We just watched. Because we're dummies and we don't know anything. No, we just watched Spinal Tap. And but you've been to Stonehenge? I, yes, I have. <laughs> Absolutely. So that, that gives us some credibility. It's it's so sad that they have to put ropes up around it because we can't have nice things. Nope. Because people go on there and deface it. Yep. Let's see. Oh, okay. So there is butter that is still being found. And recently people have started... People are getting wise to this and they've started experimenting with aging butter just to see like what kind of funkiness they can get it and they want like more earthly flavors. My my guess is there's enough like gastronomes 
that would pay good money for some bog butter, some aged <laughs> bog butter that's like 200 years old. Like you could you could sell some of this to like the Alinea folks or something, and they they put it on the menu. So, but you know, there, there might be a black market bog butter. You know, it's disgusting though. Soon. Okay, so like bog is also um, slang for going to the bathroom. Like I'm going to the bog. Oh. So bog butter has yeah. like another. <laughs> they got to work on the name. It's not working for me. <laughs> um, okay. If you enjoyed the show, please rank and review us. You can follow us on our socials. Our Instagram is at we underscore cook underscore books. And at we cook books is our Facebook. All right. I've got a, I've got a foraging joke for you. Oh, nice. Right? Okay, it, sure. It, we, we, we've got to keep with the consistency of the show here. Let's so, do it. So, uh, these two women, they're they're foraging through a potato field, and the the one woman finds a couple large spuds, and she holds them up and says, "These potatoes remind me of my husband's testicles." Then the other woman replies, "Oh, are they that large?" And she said, "No, they're this dirty." Right? I should have told the people to send kids away from the room. No, okay, see, that's kind of a. The, that that was not a matinee joke. No, it was like a late night joke. No, here's the thing that got me. They weren't out there foraging in a potato patch. <laughs> sure, they were. They were harvesting potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> the potatoes are right there. They but know it, exactly but I where. But they... this joke into this episode to to fit. <laughs> you tried too hard, oh, sir. Oh man! <laughs> like my brain stopped right there when you're like foraging for potatoes. <laughs> Not exactly something you do out in the wild. They're they're just kind of right there. There's a field. It's right there. I'm, I'm foraging for corn. Are you though? Those cornfields are just right there for the taking. <laughs> I'm gonna go out later and forage our our tomato plants. Oh, that's that's not how it's done, is it? No. Okay. I gotta work on my foraging. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week. Stay safe. Stay hungry. <laughs>